Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is New to Two. Hello everybody, my name is Brett Stewart. Joining me on this fine evening, my two wonderful co-hosts, Nicole Davis, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, if I'd had my way, I'd probably have had this week's movie on a constant loop for like the past three days. Um, as it is, I watched it twice and had a grand time. You know, it's one of those movies where you could watch it. It's like the ASMR of watching old Western movies. It's just like very, very satisfying to watch. Uh, I enjoyed it. David Luzader, how are you? You picked this week's movie. Uh, I'm good. You know, I, I did pick this week's movie. It actually been probably close to 10 years since I'd seen it though. Uh, back when I first bought like the DVD when I decided I was going to get into Westerns and it was just such a delight to revisit. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm in a good, good place movie wise. Well, new to two means that one of the hosts has the opportunity to bring a movie to the panel that the other two hosts have never seen before in their lives. That means this time David brought the original 1960 Magnificent Seven to the table, not to be confused with like its four other sequels and that one from two years ago. So and this the is the show and the TV show. This is the original, the OG seven. Um, well, almost the original. Oh, based okay. on the yes, seven it's samurai. Based on, it's based on a, a Japanese property. That is correct. Uh, but the original version of the Americanized Magnificent Seven. Now, before we delve into our discussion of this and also talk about why David chose this movie, I do want to mention that next week is Netflix Roulette. That means we spin the wheel on Netflix and it chooses the movie for us. We got our first Netflix original. Uh, they don't have a particularly good track record with movies, so this will be interesting. It's the Polka King, Jack Black. He he does Polka or something. Uh, <laughs> that's all I got. We'll see you next week with the Polka King, though. You can watch it for $8 a month or whatever Netflix is now. You can subject yourself to what we're going to have to watch in the next week. So we will report 11. back. 11. Oh, wow. It's gotten pricier. Uh, I Just goes to show you don't look at this, right? You just expect Netflix to charge you what they will <laughs> uh <laughs> pretty much so mm -hmm. the magnificent seven uh came out in 1960 the life of a small mexican village is disrupted every time a local gang of bandits needs fresh food or supplies tired of the meager living left over the villagers pool their resources to hire gunmen to protect them and drive off the gang once and for all their meager offer draws a ragtag group of men who each have their own reasons to cross the border and defend the village. David, why did you pick the first, the original Magnificent Seven? Well, uh, first of all, I was surprised that you guys had not seen it. Nicole, especially. I, I felt like Nicole would have seen this movie. Uh, I picked it because I think, number one, it's a delightful film. Um, you guys both seem to have enjoyed it uh, for what it is, but also for its historical significance. Uh, it is a movie that kind of came about at the end of Westerns in, in movies being sort of the big genre um, before kind of, before television kind of took over the, the Western genre, I guess, uh, to not overuse that word. 
Uh, it is full of some great performances. It launched the careers of several of the of the seven, uh, Steve McQueen being most notable. And man, it's just a good movie. You know, you guys hadn't seen it. I thought you guys should see it. So here we are. I made you watch it. I can't look at Steve McQueen's haircut in this movie and not have vivid flashbacks to the bodyguard. <laughs> it's re- it really bothered me. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but with that said, he's lovely in this movie. Yeah, it was surprising to me. I'd never seen this because my all-time favorite movie is Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. And that's from this generation of Hollywood um, Western storytelling. And this movie gives how much I love Butch, Butch and Sundance a run for its money. I just oh, wow. adored this through and through. Um, as Nicole said, it's the kind of movie that you could just see a ton because it's just cathartic to watch. And I'm not sure why. I have some theories. We'll get into that <laughs> later. Uh, but Nicole, this was your first time watching it as well. It was. Um, this is... You know, I know, David, you're surprised I hadn't seen it. Um, I have seen a lot of classic films, but Westerns is kind of a large gap uh, in my viewing. I went through a long period of time where I thought Westerns were just these um, old-fashioned machismo fests of men affirming how awesome men are and... Uh, how crummy those engines are and you know I've, I felt like most westerns were likely very dated and that turned out to be I mean it's certainly true of uh, some westerns but there are a great number of them that are well written and explore really interesting themes and this one in particular is very progressive for its time um and uh yeah so i was very happy with this and uh thanks <laughs> yeah, real, real quick along with that uh i just want to point out that i think part of the reason this movie's not dated uh as much as some other films are is because just before this came out there was this uh movie i don't remember the name of it i was just watching a making of thing before we started recording um but they uh there was some movie that portrayed Mexicans in a very negative light and Mexico got so angry. Like people were ripping seats out of the theater and throwing them at the screen. Uh, so they hired Mexican censors to come in and make sure that Mexico was never shown in a negative light. Um, so I think it's just like, it kind of, it, it now it makes this movie kind of even more timeless because you have, you know, these people that would have been kind of, always portrayed as like dirty and and maybe like a little bit villainous in a really, really positive light, uh, which now looks great, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a movie that uh, first of all, I watched the version that's streaming on Amazon prime. So if, if it's still streaming when this comes out, that's a good place to find it. One thing that really shocked me is it holds up aesthetically as well in, in terms of the, just the quality of the shots and, and the oh, vividness of, of the color. It is gorgeously shot. And like, I'm sure I'm watching some restored copy at some point in the last, you know, 50 plus years. But goodness, it's beautiful. Panavision, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I loved the aesthetic of this movie. 
And one of the first things I kind of wanted to touch on with that is the reason I love 1960s era Western is because there's this it's almost like it was the perfect genre for Hollywood to do at the time because it didn't look stupid. Like <laughs> I'm looking at you, Logan's run uh, and to an extent Westworld, even though Westworld was, you know, 13 years later, also starring Yul Brenner. Um, like it just doesn't look dumb. And maybe that's just because all they had to do was take all these guys out into the desert and dress them up as cowboys. And this movie has some little ridiculous oddities like you never like a lot of the time when they shoot somebody the person will just act like they got hit and fall over and there's usually not even a squib like there's nothing to show they got shot but sometimes there is Uh, sometimes there's a tiny little bit of that like bright vivid red blood that you see in this color Uh, but there's something so charming about that to me that I just can't find in a modern film yeah there was early on in the scene uh, or in the movie uh, Calvera shoots this one guy who's running towards him and he does the whole thing and clutches his chest. There's no bullet wounds. But the next time they show his body on the ground, he has these two bright spots in his back yeah. that are <laughs> like not even close to blood red. They are like Kool-Aid red. And you're right. It's comical, but it's never, it never takes you out of the film. It, you're like, okay, this is like this for some reason is working right now. Yeah. Like and the only death I will say that to me looked bad uh, was that of Harry Luck toward the end of the movie. Uh, when Harry gets hit, he just like steps backward and then like grips his chest like three seconds after you hear the fake shot and then just kind of stumbles around until he falls into a fetal position and dies. No, that's that's Lee. That's not uh, that's not Harry Luck. It's Lee. I'm pretty sure that's Harry Luck, isn't no, Harry Luck gets shot as he's coming back riding on his horse and they drag his body into the building. And, oh, uh, is it? Then is it? Yule Brenner tells him, like, there was gold all along. You know what? I just realized that we're both wrong and I'm talking <laughs> about Bernardo. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, when, he's, when the kids are there. Yeah. Yeah, the very end of the movie when yeah. Bernardo gets killed, his death is very, very, very fake looking. Yeah, oh, but he's got to protect the kids, man. He does protect the yeah. kids. God bless you. He would be alive with those stupid kids. That's right. He totally would. <laughs> That's yeah. a sad bit. We didn't mean it. <laughs> yeah, we didn't mean to get you killed, sir. Oh, you did. Yep. <laughs> Little bastards, go back to your parents. I'm Charles Brunson. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a good deal of like the first 20 minutes of Charles Bronson's part of this movie just doing my Charles Bronson voice you know as he's chopping the wood this wood ain't gonna split itself so it's just, you're saying these, and these bandits have a death wish <laughs> now now one thing I do want to talk about <laughs> one thing I do want to talk about is the cast of characters here because I, I do feel like it, it it has a stellar cast. As David said, a lot of these folks went on to really accomplish careers in Hollywood. I'd be curious of who everyone loved and who everyone hated because I have some people I really love and I have one person I despise. So oh. I'll, I'll turn off to you guys first. Uh, are, there, are there particular performances in this that really capture you from these guys and their youth? I mean, they're, they're all, um, you know they're 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 giving it their all a great number of them um i don't think 
I don't know if Yul Brynner's ever been better, but I mean, it's a great character to play. Uh, Steve McQueen is very charming, and he makes it look kind of effortless. Um, yeah. James Coburn is just like he's he's got so little to do and yet he makes it seem really interesting and you just want to keep watching him to see what he's going to do next um yeah. you know charles bronson is is he's is as always charles bronson um right he is <laughs> he's being very charles bronson <laughs> <laughs> but like friendly charles bronson um yeah. so i mean i hadn't heard I don't think I'd seen anything Brad Dexter was in before. Or if I have, I wouldn't have recognized him. And I thought he was fine. And yeah, I mean, Horst Buchholz is playing the young, you know, the young buck who's throws caution to the wind. And I, I really think it's much more the way the part is written than the way he plays it. He sucks. (laughs) Okay. Right. He is the worst, Look. and every time he's on screen, I want to slap him. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we get to the the young German who is playing a, a Mexican boy, no, uh, Vladimir. Oh, I thought yeah, you were talking about the guy. Which, I thought I thought you were talking about the old man named Vladimir playing the. Uh, in real life, his name is Vladimir, the man playing the like yes. elder statesman of the of the uh, tribe, not tribe village, right? Or the Jewish yeah. man playing the head bandit. Yeah, which, uh, okay, so this making of, it was super interesting. Um, apparently, so this movie just barely missed the actor's strike of of the time. Um, like the day of, they had the last couple actors signed and they were good to go. So the film didn't have to shut down. Uh, apparently, Steve McQueen really actually wanted the role of Chico. Um, he really resented uh, Horace Buckholz for it. Uh, he thought that it was a better role than the one that he had, so he really wanted to get it. Uh, Eli uh, Wallach, Wallach, whatever, Wallach, um, Wallach who played Calvera, um, apparently his crew, like uh, the, the bandits, like adopted him in. Like you, you never, like you never handed uh, the reins directly to Eli. It was one of the gangs took it. They examined the horse, then they gave it to him. Like, you never handed the gun straight to Eli. You gave it to one of the gang. They examined it, then they gave it to him. Like every morning they got all made up and then they went and they rode together for an hour just in the hills. Like they, they really dug into it. Um, as far as any performances that really stand out for me, Robert Vaughn is Lee. There's just something about his swagger that is so captivating to me. And I love it so much. Yeah. He's very swaggery. Uh, <laughs> he is. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you say that. I found his character just, so interesting like i'm trying to figure out what what's going on with him i mean it's it's clear from from context that he's a deserter um suffering from ptsd but he's also sort of the western version of a dandy yeah he's yeah he's very nettily dressed he's always got the black gloves he's got the ribbon tie instead of like a a leather bolo tie and i'm it kind of made me wonder you know given the the coding of the time is his character supposed to be gay as well yeah you know that's uh, you do kind of get that impression now um, but back then, you know, it's like it because you say like a dandy sort of character, it's hard to tell 
But if there was anybody in this movie that I want to dress like, it is him. <laughs> like I am into his whole look. Yeah, it's he's great. got a great look. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I I think this movie does pretty well with, uh, as Nicole said at the top of the program, with race and with uh, the the women in the movie. And I mean, it's it's problematic at times. I think there is some some white savior <laughs> stuff here happening, um, but. I, I don't think it's outlandish to think that there might there might be a gay character. That's a really interesting idea, and I didn't think about that at all when I was watching it. So, uh, so with the white savior thing, originally the script had the old man telling them go buy gunmen, go get men, because that in in Seven Samurai that's what happens. It's go buy swordsmen who will come here and defend us, and that's actually something that the the censor, the Mexican censor, was like, no, it has to be that they are going to fight for themselves. They're going to buy guns, but as a as a thing of circumstance, it is easier for them to buy men with guns than the guns themselves. And that's oh. how you get into it. So originally it was a little bit more like, go get the white man to save us. And they had someone <laughs> very uncharacteristically, uh, you know, from the for the for the sixties or for the fifties to come in and be like, no, don't do that. Bad idea. <laughs> Topanga agrees. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I didn't think about that. That's a really good point. There is a moment in this movie when they're first introduced to Yul Brynner's character, Chris, and they say, hey, can you help us get guns? And he says, well, yeah, I could help you get guns. That's very difficult, but ultimately, why wouldn't you just buy men who have guns? Because they're going to be cheaper. And that does kind of circumvent that in a unique way. That's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's... And, oh, gosh, that that leads me just real quick to... Did anyone else find it distracting that the the lead man in this movie, you know, the 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 manliest man, the man with the plan, the smartest, the best shot, the most wily is named Chris? (laughs) (laughs) What's your name? What's your name? Make it Vin. What's yours? Chris. (laughs) Yeah, it's like one step for me, like, what's your name? Greg. You know, it's just (laughs) I agree. It feels out of place. Bob. I mean, it's a, it's a name, you know. It's a, there's a guy named Harry, but they, they do they, these guys have names like Vin and Lee and Harry Luck and Chico and Britt and then Chris. Yeah, <laughs> it just doesn't seem to fit. Yeah, it's not nearly as cool. It's <sighs> not nearly as cool. Uh, it no. also seems like I'm not sure if people were named Chris, and I don't know. We need to look up the the. I mean, Christopher. No, there were people named Christopher, certainly. Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll give it. We'll give it a pass. Uh, <laughs> let's let's talk about some other elements of this movie, though. Yul uh, Brenner and Steve McQueen had uh, quite the beef on set, and yeah. I really love what I'm sure you also read, David, on this, which was like little things, like since Yul was wanted to be slightly taller, he'd put a bunch of dirt on the ground so he could stand on it and then Steve McQueen yep. would kick it all away when he moved away. Just yeah, really, uh, really tiny Steve McQueen things. was like Steve McQueen was like half an inch shorter than him, but you'll probably wanted to be taller. I love it. That's so petty. Oh, it, it is in <laughs> all the things that Steve McQueen did to try to get attention was were so petty. You know, he would uh he was always he was always moving in the background. He was always doing something with his face, always doing something with his hands, trying to draw the eye. And while I can understand for your Brenner how that's so frustrating to have this, you know, young kid come in and try to steal your screen. It really creates this dynamic between their characters 
where you know you have the cool calm collected chris and then you have this young buck uh vin who's just i think there's such polar opposites now are uh, they really well i mean in, in their man and they're like they're kind of manner in their in the way they hope they carry themselves yeah i mean vin is is obviously you know the much more easygoing chris sort of holds himself in a more formal way he's always standing very 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 straight and uh moving with purpose and vin seems more relaxed but it's also that sort of ah uh, it's, it's the sort of relax that makes you think he could spring into motion at any moment um and i thought their dynamic was almost like an easy you know from the beginning of the movie where Vin decides to help out with the hearse taking, you know, the Native American up to the cemetery. Um, it seems like they have this easy rapport between the two of them, which points to what good actors they are on screen if they really were rivals off screen. Yeah. Oh, they hated each other. Uh, <laughs> it was funny. Like, Yul Brenner made a point to try to get Steve McQueen. He wanted Steve McQueen on the film. Um, and like later on, Yul Brenner would actually come to regret a lot of this movie because of the anima, because of what happened between them. And, really? uh, Steve, Mc Steve McQueen died in the eighties from cancer and the two actually reconnected. Um, oh. and there was a, there's a really, there's a really cool thing. Hold on. Let me, let me find it real quick about uh, what was said just, just before, you know, just when Steve McQueen was dying of cancer, uh, we called Brenner to thank him. What for, queried Brenner. You could have had me kicked off the movie when I rattled you, replied McQueen, but you let me stay, and that picture made me, so thanks. Brenner told him, I am the king and you are the rebel prince. Every bit is royal and dangerous to cross. McQueen said, I had to make it up with Yule, because without him, I wouldn't have been in that picture. Oh, That's yeah. cool. Nice. So there's a, a, a happy ending. Yeah. That's good. I mean, that does explain something that I that I noticed in the movie, though, is it you do, or at least I noticed Steve Steve McQueen's hands a lot mm -hmm. in this movie because he's always holding he's like holding the reins up at mid chest instead of down lower because it's in camera range to hold them up there, and he had this big silver ring on his index finger. Uh, that caught yeah. the light all the time. And I was like, that's an interesting ring for a cowboy to be wearing. <laughs> <laughs> at, at one point with all his fidgeting and stuff, um, Yule Brenner turned to him and said, if you keep doing that, then any scene that we're in together, I will take off my hat and that'll be the end of it because Yule Brenner is famously bald. Uh, so all the all attention would immediately go to him. And apparently after that, Steve McQueen kind of calmed it down. <laughs> um, but it actually, it didn't just happen with them. Like it mostly happened between them, but there were times where other people would, uh, would try to upstage Brenner <laughs> much to his chagrin. I love it. I'm all, I'm all here for this petty bullshit. This is great. <laughs> um, because you know what? And I say that because it doesn't come off in the actual movie, right? Like if this had been a problem that would, that was translated to how beautifully this movie flows, it, it would be problematic. But the fact that, this movie still came out so beautifully is just outstanding to me because we never really dug too deep into the scene Nicole mentioned, which was 
in the opening of this movie, um, an, a Native American man has died. They will not bury him in a uh, cemetery that, for all intents and purposes, is a scoundrel cemetery that has murderers and rapists and all sorts of horrible people in it, but they're all white. So they're trying to decide who's going to bury these guys or bury this guy. And then finally, after all this arguing, Yul Brenner's character just says, you know, I'll do it. Uh, Chris says, and then eventually um, Vin joins him as well. Steve McQueen and this ride up to burying this man is like the best scene in the movie to me because there's so much chemistry between the two. And it just is so different and so electric. And it's just a fascinating scene to me. I've never seen anything like it. And it's, and it's, got such great tension in it when they're riding up there right it's yeah it's just like you you feel like oh like somebody's gonna try to shoot them like you feel like they're like well someone does you know, try to shoot them yeah it's the beginning of the movie but you're like these guys are undertaking a real dangerous task i think part of that is thanks to the amazing score in this movie yeah it's uh, a very good score yeah. elmer bernstein it's so good yeah, it's, and, and here's and one thing I found interesting when I did a bunch of digging is I've known of this movie tangentially as being a very um, you know well beloved Western film, but I've always known the score. Like I knew I knew what music I was going to hear coming into this, and what I find funny about that is no one really cared when this movie came out. Not only did it perform poorly at the box office, but uh, reviews called it pretentious uh new york times just panned it and the score was well nominated for an oscar lost and seemed to almost fall into obscurity until we had this you know increasing like gigantic sphere of western films that pulled influence from this did people start saying like oh yeah that is a really good movie well it's because of the time it was kind of regarded just as like oh it's another western shoot 'em up you know, it was it was entering a saturated market, uh, and it kind of took a little bit of time for it to be recognized. Really, kind of for what it is and for what does set it apart, um, which I feel like is a nice contrast to the recent remake, which, from everything I understand, is just a boring, typical superhero esque shoot 'em up movie. It looks bad. Fine. No, no it's fine. it's fine. It's just it's light entertainment. It is not. It is not a classic film so like what, this one. What, one thing that makes it so classic and is that they, they have these wonderful scenes where these characters are discussing the morality of what they're doing. You know, it is they are the yeah. heroes, but they recognize that it comes at a doing what they do comes at a cost. And it's just that the scene where they're talking about like places you're tied to, none. Men who you have to answer to, none. Right. You know, family, none. It's just I love that scene so much. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a great it's like the it's like the pinnacle cowboy scene right the pros and cons of being a cowboy well it, it is because this is like what has survived but there's like, there's so many westerns where it's just like oh the cowboy shoots the bad guy and they're they, they don't talk much because they're the cowboy this is like you act you have the the cowboys sitting around talking about how it kind of sucks to be them in a way you know they, they don't really and it's what they know what to do. They don't really love it. They'll always lose. That's right. The final line of lose. the movie. And that actually ties in perfectly to what I wanted to talk about next, which is 
this is an exceptionally well-written movie, I think. There are, I've seen this now once, and I, there's like 10 different lines that I could quote just because it's so well-written. There are so many, and it's not even just snappy little one-liners. There are little diatribes that each character goes into, one of those David just mentioned, that are just gripping and you remember them. And I think that's remarkable. Yeah, and there's some great one-liners, like, I was aiming for the horse. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes. And there's there's also, like, really great, like, quintessentially Steve McQueen lines. Like, my I think my favorite one is they're talking to the the old man and the old man will not leave his property as they are fortifying this village so the village when the village gets attacked everyone's condensed and they can protect them and the old man's giving them the classic i'm an old man i'm it's okay if i die speech um and the old man says you worry about yourself are you ready for him referring to calvera uh what if he comes now and then vin says reminds me of that fellow back home that fell off a 10-story building Chris says, oh, oh, I love this. Well, as he was falling on each floor, I kept hearing him say, so far, so good. And then he like <laughs> gives this like Listerine smile to the camera that looks like he's straight out of a commercial and like his <laughs> teeth like sparkle and there's like a gleaming, glistening, like, like, pew, like coming off of his teeth. He like almost breaks the fourth wall. It's so suave. It almost breaks the fourth wall. And uh, it- it's great. It uh, it's uh, there's a that is kind of a, a partner to another line that he says later, where it's I mean, it reminds me of the guy back home who took off all his clothes and jumped in the cactus patch. And yeah, when asked why, he said it seemed like a good idea at the time. Right, absolutely, and I just I love that he just basks in his own coolness in this movie, and he does yeah. so at the. Obviously, the 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 real life dismay at times of Yul Brenner, but also Yul Brenner's character is is can't get the stick out of his butt at times, which allows <laughs> that dynamic to be more fascinating. Which actually Vin tries to break through toward the end of the movie when when Yul Brenner is upset and sad, and he's like, "Hey, I'm just like you. I'm also upset and sad and want to start a farm." Like. There's actually development between these two leads that is noticeable and interesting, and you don't get that in a lot of these early westerns. No, you don't. Uh, you, you get you get these nice scenes with each of the seven, kind of building on them in a way. Um, you know, whether it's like it's it's Lee at his freak out in the middle of the night. Uh, for for Brit, it's that whole scene. He doesn't talk much, but there's that scene where the guy wants to shoot him for whatever reason. And he kills the guy with the knife. Uh, you know, Bernardo having the whole thing with the kids. It's just like these really great little moments of characterization. So when later on in the movie, when spoiler alert, some people die, you feel it. It's like, no, it's not just like, oh, the one with the good that was good with the knife is dead. I mean, that's kind of it for Brit, because that's just kind of who he is. Yeah, he also uh, puts the knife in the <laughs> in the yeah. uh, post as he goes down. Yeah, but just like for all of them, you're like, oh no, I am like you're a human being. I feel for you as you die. Yeah, that's what ah. I've always. I mean, that's that's the reason I love Butch and Sundance, is because by the end of that movie, you really don't want them to run out of the building, but you know there's no other option, and you feel that last scene. Spoiler yeah, alert! Yeah, they make for, it right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Die, so they're fine. 
Yeah, they're totally fine. There's just the entire army out there. Um, spoiler alert for Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. That doesn't turn out that well for them. But you don't even see that one, actually, which I think is part of that one's greatness. I love Butch, Butch Sundance. Uh, I digress. This movie, uh, I really do love that about this movie, is that you have these relationships with characters on screen that are meaningful, and you have these deaths that are meaningful, and I don't feel like you got a lot of that in this Western era. Uh, I feel like you still don't get a lot of that with Western films. So I love that this movie has that in spades. Now, what was everyone's saddest death for them? Because they do kill off characters you care about. Oh, gosh. Um, hmm. Probably... I don't know. I guess probably Brit, uh, James Coburn's character. Just because it's like, no, I wanted to know more about it. Oh, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, but he's so cool. Yeah. Just that part of like, nobody tells me to take, nobody gives my own gun and tells me to run. I'm like, yeah, you're totally yeah, but, right. But he's alone when he dies. Yeah. You know, Lee. Yeah goes running in and manages to save three people and knows that he dies a hero. And Harry, you know, Chris holds Harry as Harry dies and tells him that there is, oh yes, you were fighting for all this gold uh, that they had hidden away. And and then the great line, I'll be damned. <laughs> Maybe not. Like, oh, yeah. it's so good. And and then, you know, Bernardo dies and the little kids are have already had him picked out for being the ones chosen to put flowers on his grave. Yeah. And he dies and then they do. And that's, you know, I and I know it's so <laughs> cheesy and manipulative, but it still kind of gets me a little. Yeah, I would <laughs> I would I would say Lee's death would affect me more if he didn't do his weird stumble before he dies. He gets <laughs> shot and then like throws himself against a wall and then like drags down it before he dies. Yeah, it's like, what is he doing there? Yeah, it's a little <laughs> over the top there, Robert Vaughn. Come on. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, as far as actual saddest deaths go, Brits is, Brits is pretty bad. I think just the, impl- I, I think uh, Harry Lux is pretty rough. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, it's rough. <laughs> um, that might be mine too, especially because of that line right after the fact. Um, but as as cheesy as it is, Bernardo's death really punches you in the gut. Nicole is right, uh, and it's cheesy. And those kids kind of yeah. accidentally kill him, but yeah. <laughs> um, but he but not before he gives them surrogate fatherly lessons about their real fathers. Um, That's right. Which those was, are real brave men. Yeah, which is a very interesting side tangent that this movie takes twice. You see, you see your dad's over there, kids. <laughs> yeah, like twice, Bernardo gets on a soapbox to talk about how brave the peasant fathers are and how the kids should not look up to him and rather to their real fathers, which is oh, great. It's just it's it's a weird little side tangent in the movie. Oh, this kids. is clearly a man with daddy issues. Yeah. Kids, Charles Bronson here. <laughs> Respect your elders. So let's also talk about how uh, Kurosawa liked this movie, loved this movie. Uh, who was of? He was, of course, you know, created seven. Was it, is it called Seven, the seven Samurai? Samurai? Yeah. Okay, yeah. and that's what this movie uh, is loosely based off of. Yeah, 
yeah, John uh, John Sturgis got sent a ceremonial sword from Akira Kurosawa that because is, he enjoyed that it so is much. So badass, right? That is so bad. That your movie is good enough that Kurosawa sends you a sword. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, in this, and uh, the the Seven Samurai was or Akira Kurosawa was very heavily influenced by westerns. Um, so, you know, that kind of translated into this. And I think it was Ewell Brenner who said when he saw Seven Samurai, like, this is one of the best Westerns I've ever seen. Huh. Yeah, because there's part of a Western that's just the hey. the spirit of a Western, right? And not necessarily that it's in the American Wild West. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's pretty incredible. I have a question, and I think Nicole can answer. I guess you both probably have seen it. Does it, when I read the plot synopsis of Seven Samurai, it read very much like this movie. There's seven dudes, you know, they help a town from a bunch of bad guys who want to take the town's food. It reads a lot like this movie. And then when I watch the trailer to the 2016 Magnificent Seven, it's like a, a woman is getting revenge for her father by hiring Denzel to who I who That's seems to be who husband, seems to be Chris or her husband rather. Like they Denzel. have different names. Okay, so Denzel's basically Chris, and then I don't. It just doesn't look. There's nothing in the trailer that even remotely follows the plot of this original movie. Is it a remake, or like they're saying it is, or is it just like we took your intellectual property and branded it like that so we can make a wild western movie and make more money? No, it's kind of roughly the same idea. You know, it's uh, these. Seven guys are hired to defend a small community against a, a larger force that they can't resist. And in the case of the remake, it's they're defending against, I think, like an oil baron that wants to redevelop or gentrify their town or something like that. And he's got his own sort of private uh, security force that can enforce whatever he wants to do. And all of the characters are themed. Yeah, I noticed that, that they have, like, the classic white man with Native American tropes and imagery. And then they had, like, the one Asian man that acts like every Asian stereotype. They hit all the Hey, hey, don't don't knock Byung-Hun Lee. He's very good in that movie. Is he good in it? Okay, because the the trailer does not do him justice then. Okay. No, it doesn't. (laughs) <laughs> okay well it's i i'd be more interested after seeing this movie in seeing seven samurais or or the seven samurai more than yes. the remake of this movie oh yeah, yeah you can you can skip the remake entirely and what like about all the sequels, the sequels? oh just, don't don't even don't but do the it. second sequel still has mcqueen and, and brenner no it has your brenner doesn't have mcqueen oh yeah don't do it <laughs> okay because i noticed that brenner stuck with it for like three movies two movies no he he, he was only in the two okay and then uh though robert vaughn did appear in the tv show later on i believe he played a judge uh in the tv show <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll just stick to this one then so poor brad dexter and horst i can't even say his last name i can't even say his first name horst bershaw <laughs> Buckholtz. Buckholtz, yeah. I was close. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the two that Horse, everyone forgets at bar Horse trivia. Horse well, yeah, that's why everyone forgets them at bar trivia. You can't pronounce the man's damn name. Um, 
when they have to name the actors in the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, I mean, is is part of that just that that the character of Chico is awful? <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's just this was his first role. It's a yeah, hard name right. to remember. Uh, and, he was not the best of the actors, and he and he went back to. You know, he went Germany. back to Germany later, and so he didn't have a huge career in America. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Brad yeah. Dexter is one of those that guy character actors. He really is. He could, he, <laughs> man, could be played by, you know what, if, if this movie was made uh, in the 90s, Troy McClure would be a great. <laughs> I'm Troy uh, McClure. Yeah, I'm Troy McClure. Uh, of course, I meant to say Phil Hartman, but I said Troy McClure because that's how right. my brain works. Though I will yeah. say that apparently uh, Horst Buckles, man, it's Buckles. not that hard. I, but yeah. it doesn't read like that phonetically. Okay. Um, <laughs> German, dude. Jeez. I know, you Germans. He did German TV really up until the day he died in 2003. Yeah. Did a lot of German TV. So he had that going for him. Yeah, I think this is uh, probably all of Sad note, all of the seven are dead now. Well, I mean, the movie was made 58 years ago, so. Yeah. Yeah, Robert (laughs) Robert Vaughn lived uh, until 2016 and then uh, unfortunately passed. But, yep, basically through 1980 to 2016, they were dropping. Well, and also let's do a shout. <laughs> they were dropping. Let's do a shout out. <laughs> yes, um, seven people died over span of fifty some years, <laughs> dropping like flies. Dropping like flies. <laughs> yes, but Eli, the, the when we talked about earlier, Eli Wallach that played, um, who did he play? Uh, Calvera. Calvera. Yeah, Calvera. Calvera. He lived till ninety eight. Oh yeah. Oh okay. If you can, if you can find this making of thing, go watch it. Just so they they show you what he looked like in you know early two thousand whenever they made this this thing, um, because they still had a few of the actors that died like early two thousands in it, uh, and you will just be like that is that's Galvera that's uh. <laughs> so one interesting thing uh, I just want to point out that uh, Calvera whenever he goes to put his gun back what he looks to see where uh, the holster is. That is something that like Steve McQueen and Yul Brenner never do. They they just very naturally do that. And I that's just something to kind of keep an eye on in movies in general, out there, listeners. Uh, people who are trained in firearms and stuff like that, you don't have to look at uh, at where you you put your gun back. My brother in law is a cop. I asked him about um, John Wick. And he said, like, he does really great with the gun handling, except for when he has to go put a gun back in the holster. He checks to see where the holster is, which somebody of like that level of experience wouldn't have to do that. So that's just mm. something that I, I, they mentioned in the making of that uh, he would do, uh, Eli Wallach would do that would drive John Sturgis crazy, that it's just always fun to notice in movies. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I never, I've never really thought about that, but you must imagine it has to be muscle memory at some point. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, that was interesting. I when the you know the opening credits begin in this movie, and I saw John Sturgis. I'm like John Sturgis. That's like vaguely familiar, but is he a really famous director? And, and the answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> directed uh, Bad Day at Black Rock, uh, Gunfight at the OK Corral, The, the Old Man Escape. in the Sea, Never So Few, The Great Escape, m- probably most notably. Um, yeah. so 
Uh, he also did Marooned. I would stay away from that one. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I, it's yeah. I, this he did a lot of westerns, and it really shows well here. You know, he knows how to shoot. He knows how to make everything look good. I mean, I knew I had I wasn't sure at first. Um, David asked me if I had seen this before he could choose it for Nuda 2. And I thought maybe I had. I actually own the DVD but hadn't watched it yet. So I put it in and I knew from the opening shot, the opening shot is so distinctive that I knew immediately mm-hmm. that I hadn't seen it. And the opening shot is the bandits riding into the Mexican village. But I mean, there's these beautiful mountains behind them and uh, there's these very distinctively shaped um, like grain storage. um, I don't even know what to call them. Pods, maybe? (laughs) Kind of, Um, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so, I mean, he's got a a beautiful look to this film. In... uh Absolutely. Absolutely agree with you. Um, just that opening scene real quick, something that I think is really, again, fascinating. Eli Wallach, when he first read the script, you know, he reads, oh, Calvera comes into town and then rides out. And like, he didn't want to do that. You know, a character that's not really in the movie that much. I think maybe he was added to it more later on the later half of the film. But then he realized, you know, he's in there. And then for the next 35 minutes, all people are talking about is his character. Is you know, we, have to, we have to do this because Calvera is coming. We have to get these men because Calvera is coming, and like that's what made him decide to do it. It's like he's not there, but it's he's not physically there, but his character is all over this movie. Absolutely, and I also want to dial back quickly to Nicole talking about the opening scenes and how distinctive and beautiful they are. I think that's also contrasted well at the end of the movie. It has one of the very few classic gunslingers um, ride off into the sunset that doesn't look too cheesy. Like it works. Like 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 um, Chris and Vin are centered perfectly on the sun and are in the frame, and it's really a great finale. It's it's a finale that, that this movie is over two hours long, and I was kind of dreading that when I first uh, when I first saw we were going to watch this movie. Two hours and two minutes. What are you talking about? Okay, two hours. You and don't two even minutes. notice it really. But, but yes, that's what I'm ultimately getting to is that it feels so snappy. And by the time they're walking off into the sunset, the two of them, you're like, whoa, it's over. It holds up so well. Yeah, I, I, th- I think part of that is like just the, the characterization of these two. They just they're bouncing around. You know, I love that conversation in the beginning of the movie about how the old West is kind of dying. You know, it's this everything's becoming civilized now. And these are men of an uncivilized age kind of thing. Um, so they're just kind of bouncing around from town to town. The Vin is about to take a job as a, as a grocery clerk because that's where there's money. You know, that's where there's steady work. And that last shot is like, you don't know where they're going, but they're just going to keep bouncing. And I really don't know where Topanga's going with that either. (laughs) Okay. We had an argument at the end of the film. She's trying to get in on it right now. I love it. I love it. It's okay. Maybe let made her have noises. the sock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I kind of want to close on our last discussion topic, which is Yul Brenner describes Chris as a dirty bum with two clean things about him, his gun and his soul. And I think that's a great way to end this movie, because as you look at 
what what is the beginning of the end of the Wild West, as David just said, and you see these guys make decisions in this movie not fueled by money, which is where a lot of their decisions initially start off at, but fueled by wanting to finish the the work they started to help these people. And there's something really pure about the end of this movie and and the character arc that so many of the seven go through that really does make them like clear heart, full eyes can't lose. <laughs> they have very clear, like clean souls at the end of this movie. I agree with that. Well, uh, except for Harry, who's yeah. still a mercenary and desperately wants to know that there was more money and that he didn't do it, you know, quote for nothing. He didn't, he didn't die a sucker. Yeah. He, he didn't die sure he a sucker, <laughs> you know, doing it just for the good of the people of the village. Yeah. Uh, I, like I said, does. most of the seven, <laughs> I'm talking about the seven that did he die before or after they came back? He died. He after was the them. first to die. He, so he didn't come back with them originally. And then he rides in, in the first of like the big final shootout. Uh, yes, because old Harry says you guys are suckers to go back there and help those poor people. Okay. I remember. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, not all of them, (laughs) not all of them, but I do feel like there is an interesting moral arc for a lot of these characters. And, and I think that Chris's stays pretty consistent. Yeah. Chris and Vin both Vin does it a little bit for the money, but it's, it seems like it's so little money that he's mostly doing it because it's the right thing it's, to do. It's eating money. It's you know? yes, it's eating money. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is this was interesting to see. I think the movie tries to show most of the men as doing it for the money. A little bit and that being the reason that they are able to put out front doing it for the villagers kind of in the back of their mind but mostly they're doing it because this is what they know oh yeah yeah uh bernardo uh o'reilly says you know they say that he was paid 300 dollars for his work at one point and like 20 is nothing for him but then he's like, you know, uh, 20, 20 is a lot right now. Like his his line of work is not really needed anymore. So $20, that's a lot. And you have Brit, who Brit doesn't do it for the money. He does it for the fight of it, for the sport of it. The challenge, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they're all kind of, they're all kind of doing it for these, for these different, kind of for the money at the beginning, as you're right. But I guess it goes on as they're in the village, every single one of them, you know, to Chico who stays in the village forever until later movies where he's at the, we're not going to talk about the sequels. Uh, <laughs> what happens but, to Chico? I need to know. Does he finally uh, die? No, I mean, probably every, everybody dies, Brett, everybody dies. Uh, but the, it is, be, it is become a fight of more because they have a chance to walk away, right? They, they yeah. have a chance to walk right. away, but it becomes a fight of morals at the end. And, uh, and, and so they touch good. on that a lot earlier too. I mean, the, the classic, scene to me of this movie of oh we have morals is bernardo shaming them about their food (laughs) um they're cooked this lovely dinner by the senoritas of the village as they call them and he comes in he's like this looks really great a lot better than the nothing that people have outside more or less 
and they go out there and set up their little pantry type thing and are doling out soup and stuff to the kids and there's something very wholesome about that before everything kind of goes to hell and a bunch of people die but that moral arc happens throughout the entire movie which is i I think really a really cool part of this movie right and and of course vin asking one of the little boys if he's got an older sister yes you you have an appreciative (laughs) older sister such a great oh yeah like that's the thing it's like i i almost if i wasn't watching closely enough I would have almost have seen half of this movie and then the other half and be like, wait, women just showed up? But the women actually hide. At the, I mean, that that's a really interesting dynamic in the movie is that the women actually hide for the first half of the movie because they're afraid these guys are going to rape them. And then finally, Chico, of all people... I hate Chico. I'm just going to bag on Chico this whole episode. <laughs> Chico, of all people, is able to, is able to like get them like okay with these men that they're not going to hurt them. Um, while also simultaneously threatening the hurt one, by the way. Um, yeah. Again, uh, issues. I, I do like I do like Chris's reaction where it's like you know they 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 told them that we might hurt them or rape them. And his response is like, we might, but he says it in such a way of like to them like yeah we might because they don't know who we are. Like when he right. first says that line, I'm like oh you might, but I'm like oh no like what you're saying is uh, of course you know they don't know us they we could be just as bad as these bandits. Uh, Right, and, but yeah, it's it's yeah, it is very interesting when they find the women, the senoritas. <laughs> yes, yes, and the one female role in this movie that has lines. <laughs> Who doesn't yeah. get to speak? Well, does she have lines? She has like two lines. Yeah, she says she's yeah. gonna yeah, cut his head off at one point. Yeah, and when she she after she scratches him and she comes up to him in the middle of the gunfight, these villagers, yeah. these kids are all like, "Let's get in the middle of the guns." Ugh. Yeah, it's like yeah. yeah, that's not not a good plan. It's not a good plan. Not a good plan. Yeah. But watching this movie is a good plan. It sounds like all three yeah. of us thoroughly enjoyed it. David, this was a yes. solid new to two pick. I'm really happy you brought it to the table for me. This fleshed out a glaring hole in my love of 1960s westerns. Um, I'm gonna have to go back and watch Butch and Sundance now because I haven't seen it in a year or two, and <laughs> I feel like I'll. I'll love it even more now because I, I'm just more well-rounded in this genre. Uh, Nicole, sounds like you enjoyed this as well your first time around. I did. I did. I would hardly recommend this. I would recommend um, also going even further back and watching Stagecoach. I mean, it is full of Western tropes, but it is like the originator of most of them. Um, and then if you want to go really what they would nowadays if they made it they'd call it a revisionist western but um it was made way back in the day i would go watch uh the searchers which is another john wayne western all right start with this movie then you're gonna go you're gonna watch uh stagecoach then you're gonna watch searchers then for some reason uh you're gonna watch that movie where john wayne plays genghis khan and uh (laughs) last you're gonna watch paint your wagon and that'll be your entire education (laughs) on uh westerns <laughs> gonna paint that wagon so bad uh i also do want to do a shout out if you enjoy yul brenner in this movie for his for despite me poking fun at it early in the episode we are if i remember correctly we all loved westworld like two years ago 
when we watched mm-hmm. it for Geek yeah, Cinema. Yeah, Gunner's awesome. He's awesome yeah. in that movie. He's really good in that movie. That was episode 11 he's of Geek awesome Cinema in most Society. Movies. I was going to say, yeah, he's awesome in general. Yeah, absolutely. But that that's a fun discussion, the kind of companion piece to this, if you're at all interested in seeing that movie, if you haven't. And he's especially- wearing the exact same outfit in Westworld as he's exactly. wearing here. The exact same <laughs> outfit. And especially if you love the new Westworld show, of course, and you haven't ever seen the original, that's a good opportunity. So let's go around the table. David Luzader, where can people find you online? What are you up to? Uh, people can find the typical places. I'm also on Brookbot Mountain, and I am around the internet under the username Davluz. That is E A V L U Z. So Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, find me there. This will be coming out kind of end of the year. So I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but uh, I'll say I'm starting a new podcasting project uh, next year. Why the hell not? I'll figure it out. <laughs> Very cool. What about you, Nicole Davis? Uh, Shepard, our Facebook page, facebook.com slash movie go round podcast. I tweet under at your word whiz, Y-O-U-R-W-O-R-D-W-H-I-Z. And I put reviews up on Letterboxd and that's under Nicole underscore Davis. Uh, I do have a, a list with all of the movie go round films on it. So you can go, uh, poke through that and, all in one handy place very good i'll use my my plug opportunity this week to plug the uh the second quickest grossing entertainment property of all time as if it really needs a plug watching this movie the week after spending your week playing red dead redemption 2 oh so good so very good i highly recommend pairing this movie and all other great western movies with playing red dead redemption 2 i like the rest of the world very enamored with that. But in seriousness, you can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. I'll do it for myself, David and Nicole. We are back next week with Pol- Polka King. Pol- Polka King. <laughs> We're watching Polka King, guys. It'll, it'll be something. We'll see Polka you then. King? Okay. <laughs>